Well, good morning. Uh, if we haven't met, I'm sorry you've had the disappointment of seeing me today, but uh, my name is Michael, and uh, God willing, we'll be talking about those two passages with a particular aim in view. Uh, you might have, if you were here last week, you would have heard uh, Ross give a, uh, a forewarning that uh, I'll be speaking about uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints, or, the, or Mormons. And uh, I've had the privilege of speaking with uh, quite a few uh, Mormon elders, uh, nice young people that have come a very long way, that come with the intention of giving me a blessing. They want to tell me a message they think is absolutely essential. So I've got all respect for these young people, men and women, who come to my door and knock. And uh, I hope today to be able to speak to you about things you can say to these nice, very sincere young people when they come to speak to you about Jesus. But before we do that, let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you've given to the world a message of peace through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he himself, for our salvation, lived a good life in this world to replace our bad lives, to die taking responsibility for our sins and to rise again to give us righteousness and everlasting life. It is the work of your Son that brings hope to us. And we ask that as we think about your word, that we might have a message of hope for ourselves and for others. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, I don't know how many people here have actually uh, come face to face with Mormon elders. Uh, as I said, they're wonderfully sincere people, but I do believe uh, they are sincerely mistaken. I believe they've been misled, uh, and misled by a person I would refer to as a false prophet. And we'll talk a little bit about him, uh, but there's two things we want to do. Uh, that we ourselves would have a firm grasp on the gospel. And we would also have a very firm grasp on reliable sources for that gospel, and I'm referring to the Bible. Because the Mormon elders will come to you and they will say that they believe the Bible, the Bible that we have in our hands now, they believe that. They hold it to be the word of God. And that's a great thing. Keep that in your mind if you meet a Mormon elder. But they'll also have another book with them. And this other book is called the Book of Mormon. And I'm afraid I'm going to have to talk to you a little bit about that book before we go much further. Yeah. Uh, so I'll wave my hand. And uh, there are two different pictures from about the same period in history of a fellow called Joseph Smith. Now, there's all sorts of stories I might tell you about Joseph Smith, but I think they're sidetracks. What we need to do is deal with the words of a book that he claims is the word of God. Joseph Smith was a young man in the 1820s and he told his family that he had a vision, a vision from God, an angel. Moroni came to him three times and told him of golden plates hidden somewhere in America and on these plates is the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. See, you see, Joseph Smith claimed that he was confused by all the different churches saying different things. And he prayed to God that God would give him a message that he could rely upon. And he said that this angel told him about these books, these golden plates, 
And he was to find these golden plates and he was to translate these golden plates. And these golden plates became, in 1830, a book called the Book of Mormon. 600 pages of that book. Uh, the Mormon church holds to be the word of God alongside the Bible. This book claims that it's the history of a lost tribe of Israel sometime around the Babylonian uh, difficulties in the Old Testament. And this tribe of Israel ended up in the Americas. And there was a whole civilization developed and there were wars fought and there were structures built. And uh, this Book of Mormon is about that and about the restored gospel because Joseph Smith claimed that the church has messed with the message and that we now need this new book. Okay, <clears throat> so the first thing I do once uh, I invite my Mormon friends into the house, uh, my, my children know how happy I am when they come. They, they really, I am so pleased to see these people. It's so hard to talk to anybody about Jesus these days. There's normally a crash, boom. Sometimes there's not, but often there's a crash, boom, don't want to talk about it. You get people coming to your door who want to speak to you about Jesus. Isn't that a gift? Isn't that a wonderful thing? Anyway, they come in, they tell me that they're elders. They're elders of the uh, Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. And I say, that's great, I'm an elder too. Let's talk about Jesus. So I ask them what their message is. And they talk to me a while about God being nice to people and that Jesus came so that we can have life. And there's the Book of Mormon, and we would like you to have a copy and to read it. So the first thing I do is I ask them a hard question. I love asking people hard questions. It's my job. But the hard question is this. What does the Book of Mormon tell me about the gospel of Jesus Christ that my Bible doesn't tell me? And I get two answers, one after the other. The first answer is there's no difference. They say the same thing. Absolutely, we're on board together. And then I said, well, if <clears throat> the Book of Mormon gives me no new information about the gospel of Jesus Christ, why should I bother with it? I have the Bible that the church has always had since the days of the apostles. Well, why do I need the Book of Mormon? And to think about it for a moment. And then they say, well, there, there, there is something different. There are differences. And so... Uh, I say, well, can you give me an example? Now, can you tell me something that your book says about the gospel of Jesus Christ that my book doesn't, the book that God has given me since the days of the apostles? And <coughs> normally, uh, they get a little vague at this point. But the last time, these two lovely young men, one from uh, Manila, another one from uh, northwestern United States, they said, we've got an example for you. They said, baptism. Baptism. The churches don't do baptism right. And uh, I said, oh, really? They said, yes. Uh, the, uh, you know, there, there are all this infant baptism going on. That's wrong. You shouldn't baptise anybody until they get to the age of eight. And, of course, being a good Presbyterian, I, I said one or two things about showing that, you know, it's quite appropriate to baptise babies. I, I didn't realise until later that that made me the worst human being on the planet that I deserve to burn in hell forever for thinking such a thought. And I'll tell you why. This, don't read it too carefully, 
This is a section from the Book of Mormon, page uh, 586, I think, or something ridiculous like that. Near the end, it's actually from the book called Moroni, which is the name of the angel that came to Joseph Smith. And here it says this, listen uh, to the word of Christ, your Redeemer, your Lord and your God. The whole need no physician. In other words, those people who are well don't need a doctor, but those who are sick. Wherefore, little children are whole. They are not capable of committing sin. Yeah. <laughs> Wherefore, the curse of Adam is taken from them in me, that it has no power over them. This thing uh, you teach, a repentance and baptism to those who are accountable and capable of committing sin. You see, parents are bad. Little kids aren't. Get it right. Uh, yes, teach parents that they must repent and be baptised and humble themselves as little children. They shall all be saved with their little children. Their little children need no repentance, neither baptism, but little children are alive in Christ, even from the foundation of the world. Uh, there's all sorts of things I could say about this, but nonsense is the closest I can come to it, right? Because our Bible, the one that we've had since the days of the Apostles, tell us through David that in sin my mother conceived me. David wasn't saying that his mother was a bad person. He was saying, I have sinned and been a sinner since my conception. That's the word of God in Psalm 51. Not Joseph Smith, 1830. Now, you see, the, the reason he wrote this is because he was grappling with the real problem of what happens to babies when they die. When little children die, what do we do? How do we comfort people with this? And he was thinking the best way to do it is say that little children aren't sinners, they're not under uh, the curse of Adam, and when they die, they go straight to be with the Lord. I can understand the sentiment, but it's wrong. Because the only reason little babies die is because of Adam's sin. The whole reason for this rant was based on a misconception about death. Death comes through sin. The only salvation from sin is Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible does give us hope that little babies have been given little baby faith in the Lord Jesus. There's John the Baptist, before he was born, recognising the mother of his Lord, coming to visit Elizabeth. We have David himself in Psalm 22 saying, From my youngest days, when I was on my mother's breast, I trusted you indicating baby-like faith in babies. So that's wrong in Joseph Smith's book. But an even more important thing is this whole idea about being in Christ. What happens to a child when they turn eight? Are they cast out of the kingdom of God? Are they now out of Christ, having been in Christ from the foundation of the world? There are some serious difficulties with the words of Joseph Smith when you compare them to the Bible. David, when his child of adultery through Bathsheba, uh, when the little child died, David had hope. Not that he would go to the grave like the little child did. He said, the I will go to the child, the child will not return to me. He had hope that that little one, being a covenant child, even though David messed up, that little one had hope because of the Lord Jesus who would come. So people can have hope regarding their little ones should they die 
through Jesus Christ. You don't have to invent a sort of a, a theology that disproves everything else to deal with one little problem. But anyway, we see we now have a, a point of difference in the gospel between the Book of Mormon and the Bible. So what I do then is I say, come with me, Mormon elders, to first, uh, the first chapter of Galatians. In the first chapter of Galatians, it says something very important. It says this, I am amazed that so quickly you have turned from Christ who called you by grace to another gospel, which is not another, but some are troubling you and desire to pervert the gospel of Christ. But if we or an angel from heaven should bring another gospel beside the one that we have brought you, let him be condemned. And what I do, I don't actually point out the fact that there's an angel involved in this, because uh, Joseph Smith claimed that an angel spoke to him and led him to these tablets. But I do say, look, we need to be very careful that the gospel that we hold to lines up with the one that the Bible presents. You see, we are people who are prone to self-deception and delusion. We are people who are easily tricked by other people, especially very sincere young people who are earnest about what they're doing. I was speaking to someone in this congregation just a few weeks ago and said, when I first met them, I said, great, I've been looking for something like this all my life. And Mormon uh, elders are really, uh, because of their sincerity, very appealing. They get you. But anyway, I said we need to be very careful that the gospel that we're trusting ourselves to lines up with what the Bible says. So let's go back a little bit in uh, Galatians and see what Galatians says. And we've got this. Grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins in order to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God, and if you go back a bit, who raised Jesus from the dead. That's in the very first verse of Galatians. So the gospel, as Paul summarises it there, has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with what God through Jesus has done, Jesus himself being God, when he became a man and died and rose again to save people like us from sin. That's the gospel full stop. He did not speak there about baptism. The Mormon church tells you that you must be baptised or you cannot be saved. It's essential to salvation. The Bible does not say that. Water baptism is a sign that points to what Jesus did. It's not a means of salvation. So Paul says the gospel is what Jesus did, his life, his death, his rising again, for people who could not save themselves. So... Uh, I said, well, what are you going to do with this? This seems to be in contradiction to your teaching. And they say, well, let's look at it this way. See, we've got a, another, another thing that we can tell you that we haven't told you yet that will help you see that uh, Joseph Smith is a true prophet. Because you, you remember uh, that Joseph Smith 
claimed to have this confusion of mind and he prayed that God would show him, he had another vision. This time, he saw two people and one person pointed to the other person and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And they said, well, look at that vision that Joseph Smith had. He saw God the Father identifying Jesus Christ as his son and that will gain weight to his testimony. He saw this heavenly vision. And uh, when I first heard this, I said, wow. See, I've read about that before. See, in Second Peter, Peter talks about his experience 2,000 years ago when Jesus took him and Andrew and James, I think, up a mountain, or was it John and James? One of them, those guys, up a mountain. And while they're on this mountain, they saw Jesus change in his appearance. They saw his uh, divine glory. And then they heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him, hear Jesus. And I said, well, that's wonderful. And you see, when Peter was writing to the people in uh, Asia Minor, he was writing because he was soon to die. He was imprisoned because of the gospel. He would soon be taken out and executed. And he was writing stuff down so that after he had died, after he had died, they would have a reminder of the gospel. He said this, I think it right, as long as I am in this tent, that means his body, to stir you up by a reminder, knowing that the putting off of this tent of mine is soon, just as our Lord Jesus showed me. I am exerting myself to make sure that you always have a reminder of these things after my death. Just a few things about that. Peter was anticipating that after the apostles were dead, there would be no more revelation from God. At the death of the apostles, that was the end of God speaking in a reliable way to people. And the point is, it was to be written down. Peter was writing stuff down. John was writing stuff down. Paul was writing stuff down. Uh, Luke, all the guys we have in our New Testament were writing stuff down against the day when they would no longer be here. And Peter says explicitly, we're doing this against our death because after our death we won't be around there won't be any more apostles but you'll have a reminder you'll have this book the bible that we've always had since the days of the apostles but then he goes on to say something else he says i was on that mountain i saw the divine majesty i heard the voice from heaven but then peter says something amazing he says but but we have a more sure prophetic word. A more sure prophetic word than a voice from heaven. We have the prophetic scriptures. And he says, you do well to pay attention to these things as a light shining in a dark, murky place. You see, this is a dark world. We ourselves in many ways are dark in our understanding. God has given us a book to which we can go continually and read to know truth about the Lord Jesus Christ, where he came from, the whole Old Testament, what he did and what that means, the New Testament in large. And 
God's given us this book, and Peter is saying, read that book. Read this letter of mine. In chapter 3 of the same uh, letter, he says, read Paul's letters, which some people pervert like the rest of Scripture. Peter was saying that Paul's writings are just as good as the Old Testament when it comes to being the Word of God. He's saying, read the book that you've been given, because this is a more sure word than a voice from heaven. And I tell my Mormon friends this. says that voice from heaven that Joseph Smith asked for and claims to have received was unnecessary, unneeded, pointless, because the Bible we have and have always had since the days of the apostles is the only means that God has left for us so that we might know him. The Holy Spirit takes these words, the words from the New Testament and the Old Testament, to bring people like us to faith. He applies the work of Christ as we hear the gospel and brings people to faith. This is what Peter is saying. And if you link that over with uh, Paul in Galatians, he's saying the same thing. He says, we've given you the gospel. You've heard it. You don't need anything beyond that. In fact, if you get something beyond that from an angel from heaven, don't listen. Don't listen. Okay. We need to, uh, I suppose, be a little blunt, graciously, with our Mormon elders when they come to our door. They are lovely people, they are sincere, they offer to mow my yard. And they're not making a joke about that. An elderly lady up the road five years ago was given that offer, and these guys worked all afternoon. Cleaned up the place wonderfully for her. I told her afterwards, they're great at gardening, but don't listen to what they say. But these people are deadly earnest. They're sincere, but they need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ as it comes to us in a book that the church has always had. Now, I agreed with them. I agreed with them that the church has not always been true to the Bible, that the church in many ways has messed up over the years. But I say that's not the Bible's fault. That's the church's fault. It's our responsibility to know the word of God, to read it, to study it, to pray over it, to be immersed in it, so that when we have these people come to our door, we can say, friend, I've got a message for you that's better than the one you've brought. They've come over 10,000 kilometres to your door. Take the opportunity to speak of Jesus, the Jesus you know, because you've read this book. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you've given us a book, a book that has your word. And we thank you that that book is a sign of your intention of mercy, because if you were to judge and condemn us, you would not have sent us a book. But the book is one that speaks of your son who has lived and died and risen again for the salvation of sinners. And we are sinners. So we ask that your spirit will enable us to put our hope in the Lord Jesus of which this book speaks. And we pray too, Father, that you'll make us gracious people, willing to invite in these people who come to our doors and that we will tell them of Jesus Christ and urge them to test all things by the book that you've given the church since the days of the apostles. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I believe you might have connect cards, a little blue and white card in your handout. If you'd like to uh, put down prayer requests or comments or...
uh, identify yourself to us, uh, please take a few moments to do that now. Thank you.